Well, amen to that. And, and isn't that really all we need to hear? I mean, that, that, that would suffice as a message right there. Behold him. Uh, you know, there's so much to look at. And Tommy, I'm going to hand this off to you, my friend. Thank you. Uh, there is so much to look at online right now that would get us preoccupied and fretful about things that we don't have any control over um, and things that we needn't not be meditating on. But it's, it's all over the place, isn't it? I mean, many of you know more about the coronavirus and COVID-19 than you need to know right now. Matter of fact, most of us know less than we actually think we know, um, but we, we know more than we really need to know because all we really need to know right now is what we need to do, what's wise action for us to take, what's loving action for us to take. And beyond that, to behold the one who created every molecule under heaven and earth, who speaks and it is done, who commands and it stands fast. And he is glorious. And that's all we need to know to behold him this morning. Well, I have more to say than just that, even though that would probably suffice right there. Uh, turn with me to John chapter 11, if you're not already there. Uh, John 11, I'm going to... Uh, my message will come from verses 1 through 6, primarily. Um, but I'm going to draw from some of the whole chapter. This, uh, this chapter is followed by, as you might uh, guess, chapter 12. Um, but uh, the significance of that is it's where the triumphal entry is recorded in the book of John. And from there, of course, uh, the, the last week of Jesus leading to his crucifixion and resurrection and of course we're we're exactly at that place in the calendar as easter's two weeks from now palm sunday's next week and so we're one week out from that and uh here uh come to this passage in john 11 which is which is precisely at that place leading up uh, to that final week um i want to talk briefly this morning on the subject of when God's love is expressed in unexpected ways. When God's love is expressed in unexpected ways. Uh, you might even say when God's love seems unloving. I've, I've referred to it that way before. Because sometimes God responds to our prayers in, not only in ways that are um, unexpected, but ways that seem contrary um, to not only our desires, but contrary to what it seems like God ought to desire for us. In other words, we're praying exactly what we think God ought to want to give us, and yet the way that he answers is just contrary to that. It seems upside down. It seems unloving. But, but the message is, the paradigm buster here, is that uh, sometimes he responds in that way, and he does so because of his love for us not in spite of it. That he, that he answers our prayers, he responds to our prayers in ways that are contrary to our desires and expectations, and he does so because he loves us, not in spite of his love for us. So I've titled this message, Jesus Loves You So. From John chapter 11, verses one through six, if you care to, I'll invite you to stand wherever you are gathered this morning as I read from the English Standard Version. Hear the word of the Lord. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, 
whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. And we'll finish right there. Let's bow together in prayer. Well, God, as always, we, we thank you for your holy word that you have spoken into a crazy and chaotic world. You've spoken truth and you've spoken life. And Lord, we need both truth and life right now. If ever we've needed it in our lifetime, we need it in a unique way right now in the season we're in. And so God, as always, you know every heart that is hearing this message and you know how uh, you need to speak and minister to each one of those hearts. And so we invite you to do that. We expect you to do that, Lord. And so we ask that you would speak, O Lord, your word by your spirit through your servant to your people for your glory. And Lord, as always, would you move me out of the way and just use my voice as uh, an instrument for you to communicate to your people. And we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. And you may be seated. Well, if we were to continue uh, reading, we'd come across several familiar um, verses and phrases that, that would be familiar probably to any student of the Bible, even probably anybody who's just kind of grown up in Sunday school and that kind of thing. You read about when Jesus declared, I am the resurrection and the life that's in this passage uh, for the rest of John 11. Uh, when Jesus wept, that's in chapter 11 here, and when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And all of that is laden with theological significance. You probably recognize the implications of some of that, again, if you've been a student of the Bible for any length of time. But Mary and Martha have no idea that they are players, so to speak, in this grand narrative that God is writing. He's, he's, he's writing a story. They have no idea that they're characters in that story. All they know is their brother is ill, and Jesus can do something about that. And so let's look, we're going to be brief this morning, but let's look at Mary and Martha's plea and then look at the Lord's response here. First, look at their plea in verse 3. And I'll read that. So the sisters sent to him saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. That's it. Notice that one of the things remarkable about their plea is they don't even make a plea. Did you catch that? I mean, they don't even ask anything. It's just, it's unspoken. It seems they just think it's obvious. Jesus knows what it is they want him to do. And they know what he obviously should want to do himself. Right? I mean, it's sort of like imagine a little girl uh, coming into the house to her daddy with tears. And, and, and she says, she's just... Boohoo, and it says, Daddy, my kitty's stuck in the tree. 
Well, she doesn't even need to ask daddy, go get the kitty out of the tree. She just assumes daddy's got a ladder. He can get in the tree. He can get the cat out of the tree. Surely he wants to get the cat out of the tree and make me stop crying. In other words, the, the request doesn't even need to be voiced. It's just so obviously implicit in the very nature of the need and the love of the person asking uh, and the love of the person being asked. That's really what's going on here with Mary and Martha. What they know about Jesus, he loves Lazarus, he can do something about it, he should come and heal him. But how does Jesus respond? Look at verses 5 and 6. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place that he was. Jesus loved, so he stayed. Now, I don't know how awake you are this morning, and I don't know if you're picking up on this, but that does not say what we expect it to say, right? It should say, uh, Jesus loved them, so he hurried to where Lazarus was so he could heal him. Or, or maybe... Uh, Jesus loved them, but nevertheless, he stayed two days longer. Like that would, that would reconcile with what we think of when we think of the, the very character of Jesus, his love for us, and how he ought to respond out of his love. But that is not what it says. Upon receiving word from Martha and Mary about Lazarus' condition, Jesus stayed two days longer because he loved them. He stayed because he loved them. Now consider the implications of that. Because one of two things is true. Either Jesus let Lazarus die, or he just let him get more dead. But in the best case scenario, in the best case scenario, he prolonged these women hour of these women's hour of grief. They are, they are uh, deeply seeking uh, the healing of their brother. And then, when, and then when he dies, they are deeply mourning his loss. And Jesus prolongs uh, their hour of grieving. And once again, why? Because... He loved them, not in spite of his love for them, but because he loved them. Well, how is that loving? I mean, is, it, is this the question that's, that's sort of being raised in your mind? Do you feel a little bit troubled by that language? How is that even loving? Well, he gives at least two hints as to how so. Uh, number one, he reveals his glory. And number two, he increases the faith of believers. So look at verse 4, which we've read. Um, I'll read that again. But when Jesus, heard, when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. And then in verses 14 and 15, which we didn't read, but if we fast-forwarded through the story, as they had traveled on down the road, it says, Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. 
but let us go to him. So the Father is glorified, the Son is glorified, and Jesus is glad that the death of Lazarus is going to increase the faith of his disciples. And that is shocking to hear. That is shocking to hear. Lazarus is dead, and I am glad. Like, that is not the kind of phrase they would teach in seminary for a pastoral counseling scenario. Like, you don't, don't put those phrases together. Now, he didn't end there, of course. He goes on to say, I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe. But it has the same implication, right? It only softens it a little bit. Lazarus is dead, and I am glad. Because your faith is going to be increased because of it. But it's shocking to hear. Of course, Jesus knows what he's getting ready to do. And we'll find out soon enough as we keep on reading. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Demonstrating his lordship over death and previewing his own resurrection. Which is, which is not far away at this point in the story. He's going to show his lordship over death in raising Lazarus from the dead before he himself is raised from the dead. And it'll show in the course of that a greater revelation of his power and majesty and dominion. But for God to increase our affection for him and our longing for him and to increase uh, our assurance that our longing will be satisfied eternally. All of that is supremely loving. Okay, let me say that again. For God to increase our affection for him and our longing for him and to increase our assurance that that longing will be satisfied eternally, that is supremely loving. And, and here's what I suspect, is that many of us right now need to know that Ourselves, and In other words, we're at a place where we need our affection for him increased and we need our longing for him increased and we need a boost in our assurance, our deep, deep assurance uh, that, that our longing will be satisfied eternally. We need that because there's a lot going on right now that is upending that, that is disrupting that, that is disturbing that. But it's loving for him to do that. And he said it was, and he showed it was, in the case of Mary and Martha, and even Lazarus. Although you might consider that Lazarus kind of got the raw end of the deal by having to come back to this world uh, instead of getting to stay in paradise. But here's what we can take from all that. That God's love is better demonstrated when he is glorified than when we are gratified. God's love is better demonstrated when he is glorified than when we are gratified. And one of the questions we ought to be carrying through this quarantine, this pandemic, um, this unique experience in our lifetime, one of the questions we ought to be carrying with us is how does God want to be glorified? What is he doing? That's a question I've been asking. But how does he want to be glorified? In me? In 
uh, all of the circumstances, the way they're unfolding, the way they're going to be resolved and all of that. Through all this chaos, through all this ugliness, through this, through this nasty display of the fallenness of creation and of mankind. How is God intending to be glorified in and through all of that? Well, his love is better demonstrated when he is glorified and his people know it all the more and they worship him uh, more, more deeply, more authentically, more passionately because they, because they know the truth of his greatness and glory more than they did before. Well, many of us know uh, the experience of uttering prayers that seem perfectly in tune with the heart of God, like the couple who's trying to adopt, maybe adopt a baby internationally, so they're going to rescue this child from a life of misery in some you know, orphanage, uh, in some other place where they're not loved or cared for. And yet their prayers seem to go unanswered. The, th the, the, uh, the things aren't falling into place for that adoption to happen, maybe. And they think, why, Lord? Is that the answer when it seems like we're praying exactly what you would want for us and for this child? Or the prayers for your child or grandchild that's gone astray? I know there are some who can resonate with that um, sitting here right now in front of us. Uh, or the marriage that's falling apart. Th those, those kinds of prayers that you know are in your heart for God to answer, but they seem like they're in his heart too. He said thing in the scriptures, things in the scriptures that you know you're praying in accordance with the scriptures. He wants this. God, won't you give me this? And yet, sometimes the answer begins to be the exact opposite of what it is we're praying for, and it doesn't make sense sometimes. We can think of dozens of other examples. I am sure of it right now. And there, there, are, there, are, there are probably people hearing me right now who, uh, who pr had prayed about something, made decisions just in recent months. You, you really thought you're, you're, you're pursuing the will of God. Maybe you're still sure of that, but maybe a little less sure now because the wheels have come off the wagon, it looks like. Maybe a, maybe a big step in your business or something, um, a real commitment there or a, a move to, to this city or some other city because you wanted to be closer to family or something that seemed to be really in line with the will of God. And now it's just all turned upside down. And again, on and on we could go. There are lots of examples we could think of where it seems clear that you want what he wants and you ask him for it and then sit waiting in silence. And in that hour where his inaction seems so unloving, may the Spirit of God remind you that Jesus loves us so. So he stays instead of coming in a hurry. So he delays. So he even extends the hour of pain or discomfort right to the point where you think you can't possibly bear any more pain or discomfort. He loves you so he does those things for his glory, for your growth, 
and to do you good in the end. And, and I don't know any more than you do what that will look like in the end, but I do know that God will look more beautiful because of it if we keep our gaze upon him. Well, let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for your steadfastness, Lord, that you are the same and your years never come to an end. We thank you, God, that you own the cattle on a thousand hills, that you can shake the heavens and the earth and make all the silver and the gold uh, gather into one place to your service. We thank you, God, that you who created everything out of nothing can surely bring order out of this utter disorder that we're living in. And we thank you, Lord, that we can trust that your love is demonstrated to us even when those things that we ask for and need and weep over, even when those are not immediately answered, we thank you that we can trust that you are loving and you're showing us your love even in the silence. God, would you give us eyes to see um, our circumstances uh, right now and even ones we carried with us from months or years back into this season. Help, them, help us to see them through the lenses you would provide, God, to see them uh, in some small measure the way that you see them, that we would align our hearts with yours. In Jesus' name, amen.